Last week, I uploaded my presentation from the Pope and Young Convention onto YouTube. If you type in Hunt Quietly or Matt Ranella, it'll pop right up. The oration wasn't great. I was a little bit off. I don't know what. I used to feel like I was a better orator than I am. I don't know what's happened to me. But I still think you should listen to it because the information is excellent. I don't know how anybody could listen to that talk and conclude anything other than that publicly accessible non-pay hunting is in severe crisis and that the hunting industry and the nonprofits, which are essentially the same thing now, uh, are only making it much, much worse. But it's not just a bitch fest. I outlined some solutions towards the end of the talk as well. So I hope you give it a listen and let me know what you think. This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Scott Fitzwilliams, the you're the what is it? The ranger, the forest the supervisor, forest supervisor for the White River National Forest in Colorado. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good. Uh, so the way we got acquainted with is the same way I've gotten acquainted with so many of my podcast guests. You reached out to me and you shared some concerns that you have about crowding uh, in your neck of the woods and in your case in the forest that you manage. So we had an email exchange and then eventually we decided it'd be good to have you come on and describe what you're seeing in, in the white river national forest. Um, much of much of Colorado, there's been a lot of population growth there, right? In the last yeah. 30, 40 years, and things have changed a lot. And uh, but before we get into your role and with the forest and what you've seen over your tenure there, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about, and I think the audience would too, about your background, where you come from, how you ended up yeah. there. Well, um, like you, Matt, I'm from the Midwest, just to the west of where you grew up in Wisconsin, and and uh, I, I I think our childhoods are similar. You know, grew up in the farmlands and spent all my time playing outside. One of six kids, and uh, anyway, I always I always wanted to go west, and finally for graduate school I did, and ended up in Colorado for graduate school, and, and kind of tripped into the. Uh, when was that? When did you move from Wisconsin to Colorado? Uh, like 1989. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I graduated from high school in 1989, and then I moved to Montana in 1997. So we have very similar trajectory. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a few, just just a few years behind you. Migrated west and, uh, yeah, tripped into an internship with the Forest Service. I really wasn't studying that. I wanted to be like a county planner or an open space planner or something like that. And um, ended up getting on board with the Forest Service. And then, you know, what's, what's your undergraduate? Like, what's your undergraduate degree in? 
political science. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the degree you either need to go to graduate school or law school to get a job, especially back then. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, always had an interesting policy wonk, you know, was inter- that in, in, inter- in, interested in that kind of stuff. And uh, so got lucky and got on with the Forest Service. And, you know, you met Forest Service people. You, if you want to move up, you will, you got to move around. And, and so started the trek across the West from Colorado. I went to Cody, Wyoming. And then Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and then Sitka, Alaska for five years, and then down to Oregon for another three and a half, and then back here. So I've made a complete circle from when I started, which has given me a really interesting context of, you know, what's going on out on public lands from 30 years ago when I started uh, to now. And um but it's been great. I mean, I've had great gigs and great places and learned a bunch and, and you know, doing all the, the things that uh, public man, land managers do. But this place is different. You know, it's, um, you know, we're essentially with I-70, I-70 goes right through the middle of the forest. So this is the How long have you been in, the, in your current position? 13 years, 13 and a half years, which is, you know, in the world of forest supervisors, about eight years longer than the norm. So, um, but it has, but once you get to be a forest supervisor, haven't you kind of arrived? Like, isn't that what you're moving around and, and jumping the hoops to become like, isn't that? I mean, for me, it was, that was my, my goal. I mean, now if I want to go anywhere, it's, you know, it's usually to Washington or senior executive stuff and it doesn't sound all that fun sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for sure. And, 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 uh, have gotten, you know, my, my background in, in the stuff I worked on is primarily, you know, the recreation, public policy, planning, human dimension stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a, a scientist. I don't have a resource, a strong resource background, but I, I deal with the people part of it, which is a hell of a lot harder, I think. Yeah, um, I bet. But it's been, you know, it's been great. I've gotten experience incredible places from, you know, all over the country and, and, and really get to see what's going on on our public lands and, and seeing, you know, the differences and the changes and, and, uh, you know, it manifests its way itself in different ways, but it's, it's an interesting thing and it's a great thing to look at. And and that's why I got intrigued by what you're doing. I, I mean, I love, I love just the debate of anything, I, you know, any public policy is worth, that's how our country was founded is through good, hearty debate. And you brought up something that I think is really worth people looking at. And I live in a state where, especially when it comes to hunting, you know, this is the epicenter of everything that you're talking about. That's wrong in, in right. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. 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 It, it, that what, I'm like the last thing I, I ever would have thought given my personality type that I would end up doing was, was starting a public discussion about, I guess, hunting culture and, yeah. and the downsides of the commodification of hunting and how that intersects with the values that hunters hold. Uh, but I just saw and continue to see such a major, I don't know what you'd call it. Like 
what you hear in the mainstream hunting sphere is so at odds with the problems that I see. Exactly. You know, it's never even this, it's, it's comical to me how little you hear about the 20, the 1200 pound purple gorilla in the room, which is, it's just the crazy amount of human impact on hunting land, on public hunting lands. You know, it's wild. I was reading some Aldo Leopold stuff yesterday. Oh, dang it. I wish I wouldn't have told you who it was. I wish I would have just read you the quote. In testament. Yeah. In, in 1919, in the Journal of Forestry, he, he wrote, in a previous article, I have made the following assertion, which has so far not been disputed. The demand for hunting on the national forests exceeds the supply. Wow. Over over a hundred years ago. 1990. Now, of course, we had issues with game populations then. Mm-hmm. A long way. True. There was there was only five million hunters then. There were uh, five million hunters. According to this very same article, there were five million hunters then. Yeah, and we didn't have the game populations then. Right. Right. So well, you know, I think I think I, I'm a bit of a, a student of Pinchot and, and Leopold. Not not that I'm a, a, a great historian, and, and I would have might have flunked that quote, but I might have got it. But um, I'm just I'm always fascinated by you know those guys over a hundred years ago had the most radical idea in the world. I mean, especially when it came to the West, what in the world would you need to set aside land back then for? There was mm-hmm. nothing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was absolutely nothing here. And, and, and um, you know, it was heresy to, to half of the East Coast. And, you know, the vision and, and you know, I think of the battles they went through. And Pinchot got fired. And, 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 and of course. Why did he get fired? Um, he was a cabinet member for who? Well, he was the first chief of the Forest Service. So oh, he, okay. Uh, under Teddy, he and Teddy, you know, he was a blue blood dude that that was well connected, and um, and um, he, um, you know, he just he, he used those political connections for for uh, for what he believed in conservation, and and many people don't realize he had a huge vein of social justice in him. This idea of of lands in the public sphere, in the public stewardship that we all own. I mean, that, that did not fit with the roaring twenties of, you know, or, you know, our, our, our country at that time, it was, it was take what you can get and, and let's build it all. And, and, um, but, you know, he, he you know, he took on so much and, and, and um, knew he was going to get fired, but he knew it was, it was um, for the right reasons. And I think back to then, I think, wow, that must have been hard. I mean, when he came to Denver, and what did uh, during, get, are you going to get around to what he got fired? How he got fired? Well, he got crossways with President Taft, and and uh, and 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 um, he, you know he just was not going to budge. It had it had to do with a lot of the I think the coal leases up in Alaska, where um, where you know it was why people don't realize. It makes no sense whatsoever that we're, the Forest Service is in Department of Agriculture. 
And uh, the pe people often ask, why, why aren't you an interior? He and Teddy Roosevelt knew at that time, interior was corrupt as hell. Remember from high school history, Teapot Dome scandal and the big, you know, the coal mine scandal, coal lease scandal in Alaska. Um, the, the interior was on the take from, from, you know, the robber barons. And so they were like, we're not, we're going to create this new agency, but hell if we're going in interior because they're corrupt. So oh, that's how that ended up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, cause it really makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't. Not, not much corn being grown on the national forest. Mm -hmm. The same eight, the same department that handles food stamps and, and corn subsidies and, you know, farm policy is the largest, you know, natural resource management agency, as opposed to the Park Service, Fish and Wildlife Service, BLM, Bureau Rec, blah, blah, blah. All those are in, in interior. But they they just refused to um, to uh, to go into interior. So Teddy put them in uh, in ag. And, and, uh, and do you want another little story that people don't know very well? Uh, well, very I want to know, do you know, like, what exactly precipitated his uh, firing? You know, I, I just know... I'm, I'm ashamed that I don't recall and I could reach back at behind. Well, you I didn't even know he got canned. So just think how I must feel. Yeah, no, but, but I'm going to follow up on that and get the exact thing. The, the greatest uh, historian of, of Pinchot is, is Char Miller. I think he's down and he teaches at Texas or he was I'm not sure he's still a professor down there, but I'll get that exact story. But you know, you know, the Forest Service logo, you know, the, the, the shield, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen that and you mm -hmm. see it on all our signs and stuff. Um, so uh, Teddy wrote, or uh, Gifford Pinchot, you know, they created the Forest Service and he was sitting in a train station somewhere and uh, and he was, it was Union Pacific. And, and think of the Union Pacific shield. It's exactly the same shape. And he sat there and sketched a, a, uh, a tree in the middle of that shield and then put us forest service. And that's how that shield came about. He stole it from, from union Pacific. Uh, the robber barons come full circle. That's uh, right. Uh, but, but I think of man, I think of, you know, what they dealt with. I mean, and, uh, you know, the, the, the pressures and stuff and, and we, we look at them and say, wow, I would think though, if they were here today, They'd say you got a hell of a lot harder job now, Scott. Oh yeah, we have yeah. a lot harder job. I mean, that was a political thing, and like I said, when he came to Denver, he, uh, you know, when they were creating national forests, they literally had people with ropes to hang him. Um, wow. Um, yeah, because this idea of setting aside—I mean, the cattlemen didn't like that, the miners didn't like that, and um, so wow, we. I get I get passionate about our public our public land system is like no other in the country or in the world. I'm sorry. I mean there are some that are close, but even in Canada, it's the Queensland, you know, and and um, nowhere else is there a system like this. And when you think of America's strength, I mean obviously economics, military, freedom, all that, democracy. I believe one of our strengths that that makes us a strong nation is our public lands, and 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 so as I look to the next hundred years, we got our hands full 
of challenges. I mean, not just with hunting and, and we'll talk more about all the things going on here. Cause we're kind of the epicenter of, of, uh, when the masses come, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's the, I feel like I'm, I'm focused on such a small problem in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? That it, yeah. I, and it, and I do some hand wringing about that, but the, there's so much more important problems, but there's a lot there of people, are. there are a lot of people focused on the important problems. You know, I mean, so like, I just tried to carve out a niche for me about something that well, I was passionate about, well, but yeah. You eat elf, elephant one bite at a time, man. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is your bite and, and, and you and I have the same passion around what we do in our free time and what we do for our soul. And that's getting out in the woods and hunting and fishing and doing those things. And when you see, I don't, I don't worry about people taking away our guns and I don't worry about about uh I, I i don't even worry that much about anti-hunters i think that's real but 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 um i worry same. more about same i think I that worry the... more about are we going to have an experience that is worth a shit in the future and i got a 21 year old kid that he is not going to be able to experience things i do now he's been able to experience some great stuff because we've had the means to do that but um but um he he's not going to to, to you know, I, I I forgot to mention, I worked in North Dakota, too, out on the grasslands. I worked in North Dakota before the, the private, you know, the, the commercialization of pheasant hunting mm-hmm. went crazy. I could go anywhere I wanted in that state. Knock on any door um, and, uh, and shoot as many birds as, you know, it was legal and, and at any time and... and there were a few people that said, oh, you know, our, our family's coming next week. So we're going to, but for the moment now that's on, that's not a possibility. My kid, if he wants to have that kind of bird hunt, he's going to pay for it. Yeah. Which is, oh, I wish I had pulled up some more of these Eldo Leopold quotes because so much of what you're hitting on, I read, I read like has parallels in what I read yesterday. Uh, let me see if I find one of them. You're inspiring me to go read it again. One thing is, well, this, and this isn't even like Sand County Almanac or something like that. This yeah. is, this is uh stuff from journals that he wrote in, but one of them, doggone it. I'm so dang disappointed with myself that I didn't get all this stuff together, but, uh, oh, so I really, have no interest in pay hunting. I mean, to the point where I would give up hunting before I pay hunted. It's just not. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that, but um, I've done it. Um, may, you know, uh, uh, not very often um, for sure. Um, we did it when my dad was still hunting um, and we'd go to Eastern Wyoming and and we all throw in a few hundred bucks and this rancher let us use his place and it made it easy for my dad he was you know up there in age and and uh, it was more of a social event than, than hunting but no i i don't pay for hunting either if i could avoid it 
So uh, here again is Aldo Leopold writing again in 1919 in the Journal of Forestry. They hunt the national forests for uh, for other reasons than merely inability to own a private shooting preserve or pay due. He's talking about a segment of the population here by day. Right. Than merely the inability to own a private shooting preserve or pay dues in an exclusive club. Regardless of the cost, there is an ingrained repugnance in the heart of many sportsmen to having their sports served to them in a spoon. There is a certain rugged independence which eschews boughten sport. Wow. That was written in 1919. <laughs> yeah. He. He predicted in 1919 that much of the country would be in a shooting preserve by 1940. Wow. And he predicted also about that same time that the national forests were going to get, for, for hunting, were going to get way overcrowded as more and more land it's hunting became more expensive as a consequence of privatization leasing and people buying shooting preserves for themselves. He's a prophet. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's unbelievable. It's, it's just amazing. And, and, you know, obviously we still have opportunity, Matt. I mean, we, we, we still have amazing opportunity to, to go out on public lands. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did my. I get. I yeah. I still have some good experiences every yeah. year. I could. I could eke out a living. I. I could eke out a living as a sportsman for the rest of my, my of my waning years. But man, it's getting worse. And like you said about your kid, you know. Yeah, he won't be able to get experience what you and I did back in the nineties for sure. Yeah. I guess what I'm that's the nineties. It's not long ago. Right. Uh, That's what I think about. I I I realized time, you know, uh, blinked and I I I all of a sudden registered a 30 year career. But uh the the rate of change and 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 to me, Matt, it's been in the last decade that it's been staggering. The rate of change and and since you returned, since you returned to Colorado. Exactly. And it, and it, you know, I came back, maybe it was because it was during that big recession, you know, 2010, it was, we were in a pretty good recession. You're finishing that one, but it still had that feel like, okay, I could go anywhere. It's, it's gone. I mean, you, my experience here is all my hunting holes are gone. Every single one of them. I, I don't have any left. And, um, and I, and I work here, you know, I have access to a lot of places and, and knowledge of a lot of places. And, but I just worry about this rate of change. And if now, would you say, let me ask you this as, would you say that the quality of the experience has declined? Follow the decline of your experiences, follow a similar trend, whether it be n- Hunting or or just like say hiking or camping. Well, everything on this, you know, I mean, we're seeing that, and it's across the board. And again, it's very acute here on the White River. I mean, we have 
We have surpassed 17.8 million visitors per year on this forest. That's more than Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, and Rocky Mountain National Park combined. Think of that. Mm, only- that is wild. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 we do these surveys, these you know, the visitor use surveys every five years. Five years ago, it was 12.6. We're up to 18 million, Matt. At this rate, this is what I keep thinking. It's like, okay, we've just, we're speeding up. If we don't do, if, we're going to have to do something because this trend line can't continue. There's no possible way. Now, hunting is as, the, as a percentage of oh, as the percentage of non-residents visiting the forest increased, or is it just? Which is another way of saying, I guess, in my mind, um, is it because more people are moving to the area? Yeah, or- I mean, it's it's a combination of both. The front range is growing at you know for a while there it was growing at thirteen thousand people a month. So. Um, so, you know, and I think it's still growing. So Denver Metro is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. So there's that. And then, you know, remember this forest, um, you may not know the White River, but you know Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, Keystone, Copper Mountain, A Basin, all those places. So all those ski areas are on on this forest. So we're the landlord of all those ski areas. That's all public land. Um um, skiing. And, um, so you have these international destinations. You mentioned the word Aspen Vale, Breckenridge, and people come from all over the world. And, and, and then I hate downhill skiing. And I know those places, you know, no of them. I, I, uh, I do, I I enjoy it. Um, it's terrifying to me, but yeah, I did it for, I, I got married late in life. I got married eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And like my wife is a snowboarder, so I did mm-hmm. a, a bit of it like t- ten to eight years ago. And then once we got yeah. married, and I was like, okay, she's not going to leave me now if, if I don't share the same interests of her as her, you know. So I, I quit as quickly as I could. But yeah, just but it, it's beside the point. Like like I, they're, they're obviously hugely popular ski destinations. Yeah. It, it, and but but here's here's something that connects to what you've been saying about the hunting. Now we don't we don't track our data. We, we do track data on you know the different types of 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 activities that occur for these 18 million people that come here. We know how many come skiing. We know that hiking on trails is the most popular um, activity. What I can tell you is. The the lat the, the the explosion in popula- popularity of these, this place and and visitation is really closely correlated to Instagram and Facebook and 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 social media and we have iconic sites like Maroon Bells which is the most photographed place in the state um, Hanging Lake. Hanging Lake is a is a travestine lake that it, you got to hike up. It's kind of a, a what lake. It's called Hanging Lake. It's right in the. Yeah, I-7. but what you what you just you used an adjective there. Oh, travestine. Um, so it's a it's a naturally formed lake that um, basically a a spout of water comes out of the limestone out of a cliff, and and um, and that limestone 
that water is full of of calcium and minerals and 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 uh, all these carbonates, if you will. And it actually created this lake that looks like it hangs on the side of the cliff. Just through deposits of the minerals, it it created a natural dam. Now the lake's only you know an acre in size, less than an acre in size, and 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 three maybe five feet deep, crystal clear, and uh, and it is a bucket list for people all over the country and all over the world. We went from seventy thousand visitors to one hundred and seventy thousand in the in the course of. Five years, six years. And when that started, it's the same exact time social media went crazy. Instagram and stuff. It became, it is a Instagram, Facebook, social media, because it's, you, at any time you go there, you can take the coolest picture in the world. It's just incredible. And, uh, and, Everyone wanted to see it. I've been at the, I've worked the parking lot on weekends before we had the, the reservation system. And we had people from Brooklyn, New York said, oh, I saw it on Instagram. I had to come. here." And, um, and, and so, and, you know, you think of the destinations of Aspen and Vail and, and all these places and people are constantly posting stuff. I want to go there because it's, this forest is stunningly gorgeous gorgeous you know it's the continental divide runs right through it and so i think that i i have to think that correlation applies to the hunting community too that same you know promotion of of these spots and we don't do it as an agency we got a crappy you know website that not a lot of people go to comparatively what goes on in this in, in the social media sphere and and uh that's what made me think about when I heard your first pod, first time I listened to your podcast, I'm like, you know, this is, this is very similar to what we're dealing with here with our explosion. And, and, and the same thing happens, you know, um, when, when it comes to the hunting industry. So I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, Matt. And you, yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that for just a little bit. It, 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 make sure we talk about that for a bit before we, at some point in this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I one couple things I'd say. One is, yeah, you're as part of the Forest Service. You you guys haven't promoted it, but like state fish and game agencies sure do. Oh, for sure. They hire they hire celebrities to advertise for them. Did you know that? No. Oh yeah. Do you know the hunting public? Those guys. Uh huh. You do? No, I don't. Oh, don't. Okay. So there's these young guys that are all over YouTube called the hunting public, and they hunt public land, and they're very popular. And yeah, there's been some fish and game management agencies on the east coast that have hired them to promote turkey hunting i know for sure i think maybe some other things then randy newberg you know who randy newberg yeah. oh, okay, sure. so they've, he's been hired by arizona fishing game maybe new mexico fishing game uh the the chamber of commerce just south of where i live has hired him yeah 
So, uh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm always looking for things. We have this Instagram page that we're always putting little bits of data on when, when, when we can find some. And this, this guy that's working with us on some of that, he just gave me a graph today that he produced where on the X axis, it is from 2012 to now the the cumulative number it's this it's proportional to this it's not this cuz but it's proportional to it in from google trends cumulative number of google searches for meat eater plus hushin i don't know if you know about those guys yeah plus fresh tracks on the x-axis and on the y-axis is applicants per tag in wyoming colorado montana and idaho and man does it do those things track from 2000 really? oh it's unbelievable from 2012 to 2015, there's like zero growth in tags in, in, in applicants per tag. And then it starts to increase dramatically with the, the Google Trends search values. And we, we even like, just so we made to make sure we didn't, confuse cause and effect like when we're predicting the 2015 applicants per tag we only use the the cert, the google trends data through 2014 you know so we're like always yeah. lagged back by a year when we do it but sure. it's staggering how it, i found out that that colorado has 900 and 78,000 applicants. 900. Yeah. 978,000 applicants. They issue a total of 361,000 big game tags, of which 215,000 elk tags. But aren't there still some over-the-counter tags there? Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Isn't yeah. there some? Isn't there some momentum to do away with that? Well, I tell you, um, compared to what I've seen in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, our momentum is pretty slow. But uh, oh, no, I was talking about your state in particular. I thought that's what I mean. Slow. But okay. our state is just there is some, but I'm just stunned that there isn't a bigger push because because. We allocate in in Colorado. They allocate thirty five percent of the um, elk tags to non residents. Every other Western state is ten percent or less. Right, right. So, so oh, oh, that's another thing. I wish I would had this dang had copied all this stuff. Aldo Leopold also has a paragraph where he's advocating for in state preference. <laughs> really, for, for hunting tags. 
1919. Yeah, that was 1919 too. Yeah. Man, we need to to have a seance and bring that dude back. (laughs) It's wild. All the issues are over 100 years old. Yeah. You know, Colorado, you know, and 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 listen, I, 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 we're partners with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And, and, you know, in my job, I have to work with them and they're great to work with. But it's a it's a very difficult situation. And you're a bureaucrat. You understand this. We're always struggling for money and stuff like that. So when when 66 percent of your budget comes from the sale of non-resident tags, it's hard to cut those back because what yeah. you, you remember, and, and most, most, especially in the West, most fish and game agencies do not want to be part of the general fund. They, because then the politics take over, which I is, see. I like that, you know, I mean, but at the same time, if, if they cut back on those, who wants to cut their own budget? I don't want to cut my own budget. And that's that's part of the challenge of this. And and, and what, they don't what do you have, think is going through their mind when they think I don't want our budget cut? Are they worried about their job, or are they worried about operational funds? Oh, I think it's this. Or the are they latter. worried about the resource? I think it's 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 the latter too. I think it's their it's it's about it's about doing their job and taking care of the resource. If, well, do you know like have you ever looked at the effect of hunting pressure? on the studies on the effect of hunting pressure on wildlife well i I, i've certainly had plenty of my own experiences but um turns out there's a there's a turns out there's there are a number of peer-reviewed studies on that so that's where like i am not convinced by the argument that we need more to sell more tags and recruit more hunters to protect the resource. Yeah, but I agree. I just the, the, on our Instagram rates page, are not changing. No matter how many tags they issue, we're still at the actually success rates have gone down. Sure. So, so, so uh, let me let me tick off a few of these. Let me take. I want to hear. Okay, so here's uh, one study. I'll go into a couple in in specifically really quickly and then i'll i'll just tick off some other ones there's a study on elk in particular in wyoming there's these two paired subpopulations of elk that summer in the mountains on public land one of them just so happens to intrinsically migrate to private and the other one intrinsically migrates to a public wintering, overwintering area, uh, winter grounds. Sure. That, that, the one that overwinters on private migrates en masse beginning September 1st, as soon as archery season opens. And then the other one guts it out in the mountains until snowfall, because even if they go down low, they can't accept escape hunting pressure. And then they correlated the the forage quality experience by these critters with LIDAR data. Uh, and as you would expect, there's a fitness cost to that, mi- to migrating down low. Oh, the, hell yeah. The forage quality is not nearly as good. No, it's all dried up. Yeah. So there's one, uh, 
but then also they're like they they have to there's no there's no controlled experiments so they have to use they have to get creative things like where there's where there's a hunting season and then a gap a little hunting season and then a gap and then another hunting season they'll they there's one study with gadwalls where they looked at what happens to lipid storage going into winter and it's stagnant in the first hunting season declines in the second hunting season and goes through the roof positive in between the two seasons in the in the in these and they did and this was in a wildlife management area which makes perfect sense sure no um and then uh in scandinavia there's stuff with infanticide rates and in brown bears um litter sizes in certain species stress hormones birth timings and that you know so like i think it the 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 game management folks would do well when they're thinking about we need more money for the resource from tags to consider that the resource maybe is better yeah. off with a few fewer tags you know <laughs> Well, I tell you what, um, there, you know, most of the public land herds in, in Colorado, and I'm not, you know, get a, get a CPW guy on, on, on a podcast to, to give you the CP. You know, oh, Colorado, Parks Colorado parks and wildlife. And wildlife. Yeah. Okay. Used to be division of wildlife and then they merged with parks, but anyway, um, you know, but I think there are only two herds two public land herds of elk in Colorado that are, that are either sustaining or increasing. Every one else is, 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 is dropping dramatically. That whole herd around Vale is, has dropped by 50%. Incredible. De- development. Is that what that is? Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. Okay. It's we, we that's the easy point too. You know, we always mm-hmm. think that, well, because we develop, generally, we develop in the winter range. I mean, people don't generally build their, their house around here in the summer range because it gets a little chilly in the winter and full of snow. Um, um, so that's part of it. But but so, so you know, the herds here in the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, Aspen area are, are, are down, you know, quite a bit. And, and um, so we... We, we've always had this thought about winter range. That's the driving factor in, 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 in the, you know, herd populations. That's the stressful time. That's when the vittles are, are few and far between, but things are, as we learn more, this is really interesting and fascinating to me. Um, we always thought we have so we could, we could grow 10 times more elk on the summer range. We got, these mountains full of beautiful grasses and forbs and there's no shortage of food. I mean, even on dry years, but it's the winter range that has always been our focus. That's what's going to be the driving factor of that herd herd size. And yes, we've had a shitload of development across the West, 35 million homes built in the, in the West and in the, in the forests of the West in, in the last 25 years or so. So, obviously a factor but here's what we're they're starting to discover is although there's plenty of summer range plenty of vegetation 
the utilization of that range mat is going to hell because of the impacts of of tourists, of of hikers and bikers. Let's take Mm -hmm. an alpine environment, for example. Um, In the summer, you go to an alpine environment, and let's say you go on a little backpack trip, and you get up early in the morning, and and you go out to a a huge meadow, and it's going to be full of elk and deer, and, you know, they're just going to be grazing. Normally, they would graze out in that alpine environment till. 9, 10 in the morning until it started to warm up, right? We have so many tourists, so many hikers, so many people. The, our, our, our alpine environment, well, you know, the Maroon Bell Snowmass Wilderness, we, we're, we're implementing a, a, a permit system to, to go to the, to even spend the night in the wilderness. You're going to have to get a permit there because it's so crowded. So you're an elk that normally goes and grazes out in this beautiful open meadow, you know, alpine environment with forbs and all these luscious plants that are full of nutrition. And 60 people in spandex show up at seven in the morning because they all want to see the sunrise. They abandon that, that summer range that where they should be just munching and filling their guts and getting, you know, fat for the winter. They run into the woods. Well, guess who's in the woods? The bears, you know, and we have a black bear population that's crazy in this state from what I can understand and what they tell us. So depredation rates on on, on calves and, and fawns is through the roof. They're not able to utilize the summer range because of all the impacts from just people not trying to impact. The, the, they're not going out there to hurt the animals, but they're having a huge effect on them. And so this notion that, that, you know, winter range, that's all we have to worry about is, is kind of fading. We've got to somehow figure out how we protect that summer range. So they take advantage of it so they can survive the winter. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I wasn't aware of all that. It makes, but it makes, if I would have thought, thought if I would have sat quietly and thought about yeah, I probably would have arrived at that, you know, so like it makes perfect sense. And I was I was kind of, you know, a little hesitant when my Parks and Wildlife, you know, colleagues were telling me, hey, we're we think this they're they're getting run off the summer range and 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 then they go into the woods and you know yogis there and grabbing the the, the fawns and not only and yeah, not only that, but the, it's there's it's sub uh, suboptimal feed in there too. Exactly. You don't have those forbs that are just so nutritious and all those things that are, um, you know, those Alpine environments and those open meadows and stuff provide. So, so the pressing question then becomes, what do you do about it? Yeah. And like, there's a few things that come to mind to me. I, I think that anybody, any of these, these spandex clad folks, that wouldn't be up there if it wasn't so they could make a statement about themselves, they need to go away. And I don't know what that percentage is. It's probably small, but that's an easy one to me. Yeah. If you're up there. If you're up there to take pictures, to say, look how outdoorsy I am uh, to your Facebook following or whatever then that should be dis- disincentivized. Somehow. Well, yeah, just, I think 
it's incumbent on people that care about nature to not to boycott that stuff. I don't know. Do what do you okay? So what do you think? Is it is it five percent of them, or more like fifteen? Oh, I think it. I think it's higher than that, Matt. I mean, I I think every one of these people, you know, that that's just what we do, and and especially as the pop the demographic. I'm saying, what percent wouldn't be there if not for that? Oh. Point? Oh, I don't know. Probably a small percentage. I think yeah. Okay. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So then the thing, I mean, like the, the the only the only painless solution is the one I've taken, which is just to not have kids. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it really, well, it really. I, I only it, there's one, gonna so. be. It, it's like it will become that the draw is no longer there what's drawing these people there will cease to draw them there because it's been so negatively impacted or, but, but here's, I guess it can, here's it'll still be a shell here. of what it is i mean it'll still be way up high and they'll still be pretty lakes but yeah. i mean it's just the wild yeah, i worry though dude because because you know this i-70 quarter and then the i-25 quarter you know the front range forest of you know the front range of colorado denver boulder fort collins colorado springs pueblo um could what i worry about is we could turn into europe you can go on a hike in europe and get some of the most amazing pictures in the world i mean just incredible but you're you're not going to have a good hunt you know what I mean? Right. You're yeah, I was trying to focus like just on the not hunting part of it for a while. Like yeah. The, the 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 demand for nature, like the dis- yeah, it's and it's insatiable right now. Yeah. Well, is it or is it that there's a well? I don't know. It's just so complicated because a lot of the people that have moved there probably moved there because they crave some exposure to the natural world. Of course they did. That's one of the the top reasons people move to Colorado is for um, the outdoor um, activities that you can enjoy relatively out your backyard. You know what could save us is just what, like, if we all become brains and bats. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's an idea that's been around for. 2000 years um it goes there's a have you ever heard of the allegory of the cave it was one of no. the platonic dialogues so no. in, in plato there's a there's this allegory of the cave where there's a bunch of people down in a cave and they there's this parapet down there this wall and there's these shadowy shadowy images cast upon it. And they think that that's the, they, they think that's the, uh, numinal world. They think that's the, the, that is that that stuff's real. And then this one guy climbs up out of there and goes and looks around, comes back down in there and tells them all the stuff he saw. And they thought that he was full of shit. <laughs> and, and so like but that's an idea that you hear all the time and like that how do we know that we're not just you know i mean even in even in descartes descartes was like you know how do i know that i exist i think therefore i am there could be this evil demon that's bringing about mm-hmm. these 
these ideas in me uh, that, that I'm, the, I see these flashes of lights and it flashes of light and smells and sounds it could be that I'm fooled in all these regards, but I think so. Therefore I must exist. And like, and now the metaverse, you know, like the metaverse is another instantiation of the same idea. Like what could save all of us is if, <laughs> is if, if it becomes so good that like that, the, 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 the AI becomes so good, the machine learning algorithm yeah. becomes so good that there is really no difference between what experience in the natural world brings about in us like the the, vet, the 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 benefits of it become indistinguishable from the benefits we get from being in the metaverse right i don't know i mean it's Maybe like that's not, it. it's like this it's a synthetic like computery freaking uh mark zuckerberg sounding weird kind of like thing but god i'm scratching my i'm just scratching my head like how do we accommodate this need to to experience nature in a way that doesn't destroy nature yeah it it it, uh every once in a while i'll i'll get in this do loop in my head the same one you're going through as far as like it is it we got eight billion people on the planet and blah 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 is it is it just inevitable and and what can we do but then the the pragmatist in me comes back and says well matt and i are going to have a podcast and we're going to talk about some of these smaller issues the little bites on the elephant that maybe we can shift some thinking as far as at least the experiences we're trying to protect and um and and that's what intrigues me and and i have hunting with hunting i got stronger ideas i just don't go ahead with hunting i do i do think i do think that there's a non-trivial number of game animals that are getting killed every year because people are trying to make statements about themselves oh absolutely Absolutely. Whether it's actual hunters or others that, 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 you know, I mean, you could get in a do loop. What do you mean? Like, what if it's well, not, you can get a do loop. I would argue that people that, on, that on are you put people that put stuff on the computer are really, if you're walking around with a camera behind you, in my view, it's not even hunting. So yeah. I could, if that's what you meant, then I'm with you. Yeah. Well, in, 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 in people, whether you're hunting or, the the you can go get into a do loop on YouTube of just watching people mess around with wildlife, you know, oh. just farting around with them, and and it's like, why are we doing this? You know, like why are we doing picking this? up snakes and things like yeah, that? Yeah, snakes and messing with moose and trying to ride a elk or whatever the hell you're doing that day. Yeah, and and. and um I have a question. I'm, I've been thinking about this a ton because um, it, it makes no logical sense to me in my personal experience, which is only one of many, obviously. And I realize, and as a statistician, you, you can help me with this or understand it better. So, and, and it's a little bit of the premise of what you're trying to do here. Um, 
the mantra has always been we need to recruit more hunters. And and because our hunting participation is falling. Now, is that falling as a ratio of the population or total? I don't, I'm not quite sure. But you've probably done more research. I just don't get that because there's no hunting experience that me and every single hunter I know that says there are less hunters out there. Every single aspect of hunting is more difficult than it was 20 years ago. Every single aspect is either more difficult or more expensive. One of the two is happening. How do I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around Matt, the, the numbers that hunting is going away and, and the antis use that and the, you know, left of center people use that as a reason we don't need it. I've had it, my own employees say, well, hunting's on the decline. We, we don't need to worry about that as a, 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 a segment of our visitor use. What have you learned about that? Do you know who Ben O'Brien is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just from, I, um, from, he, um, he used to be part of media podcast. Yeah. I was just on it about six weeks ago and then i was on it with him again he was on mine two nights ago it was it went off the rails it went it was a two-hour screaming match between you and ben yeah and the first thing that set me off like it was the first time this is like this is my 40 something episode and i've been a very good host uh i i was not then i got i i got I, Why we were we we turned into two, we turned into two uh, chimpanzees like screaming. I could not get him to admit what you just said, which is that the quality and quantity of publicly accessible non-pay hunting is is in decline. I couldn't get him to it. Just I, I don't know. That's as obvious as the sun rising. Yeah, yeah. So here's, and I like Ben's stuff. I I think Ben's a great conservationist, and 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 I just don't. I just I there's not a single person I could talk to that said that that would say, "Man, it's great now." I have a I have way better than it used to be. I have a strong opinion about. I have a I have an answer to your question that I uh, find very compelling. So the other guy that hosts some episodes on this podcast, Jim Durkin, he just interviewed a guy that wrote, he was part of a team of GIS guys that wrote, it was in Frontiers in Ecology and Evolution, I think an article last year that quantified the, and I can send you this article the habitat loss over the last 30 years for endangered species. And I don't see why that value would be much different than game species, but it's somewhere between five and 8%. So then you look at what's happened with leasing where there's, you, there used to be some farm that all the neighbors hunted. And maybe some guys. Everyone. I mean, I, I I have to guess when you and Steve were get kids, you could go hunt on the neighbors. 
land. Most of our hunting, most of our hunting were on. Literally could go anywhere we want. I mean, we didn't even know who the hell owned it. We just went hunting. Right. And now all. Yeah. Now all those farms are leased out or bought up. And those people that. Those people are pushed onto smaller and smaller parcels, little WMAs. Yeah, or to public land. That's overcrowded. And they're like, how can I want to have a positive experience? And then they come out west because they don't have any quality experience left where they live that they can afford. So to me, it's not at all a mystery how you could have a lower number of hunters and still experience a higher hunting pressure because the raw number of hunters has so little to do with your experience your experience that what matters there is hunters per huntable acre not not the number of hunters the number of hunters in a vacuum doesn't tell you anything and then it's like there's no question in my mind. I've got emails from all over the country, people telling me about their anecdotes about, I used to be able to hunt this place and this place and this place. And now, you know, this dentist or this doctor or this guy from the two states over, they leased that all up. And so now you got places that you got a, a thousand acre place that used to have 15 people on it. Everybody having a decent experience. Now it's one or two people. Right. Right. You know? So that's why it's such a huge part of what I'm trying to say is look out for your fellow hunter. If if hunters need to look out for other hunters, if there's, if it's, yeah. Well, that's what, if if that's the case, if it, you know, and, and we, we, from our, from when we were kids, we understand what, what, what the, East and the Midwest is like, you used to be able to go everywhere and now you, you can. Okay. So that's a one section. Then out here, you know, these big ranches and stuff, they used to let people hunt and now they're like, well, no, I can, I can charge you, you mm-hmm. know, a thousand bucks a day for trespass fee and, or lease it out to a, a guide, which again, I'm not, whatever, it's your land. You do whatever you want. Does that make enough to, 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 to 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 um to create the difference we've we're seeing right now i i just i don't have the answer well there's two i think there's two there's two things it's it's okay that that what i just described i think is a component and then the other thing that's a component is there's just been the hunting is it's been hyped up you know, yeah, uh, that that is a and, and and social media and TV and there's so much bullshit. Like there's so there's so much lying that goes on that makes hunting more attractive, seem more attractive than it really is. Yeah, you for know? sure that that I think that where where I've seen the biggest change in that is is the difference the the rule of thumb and when friends and stuff said they wanted to come out to you know, Colorado to come hunting. I'm like, great. If you, you come out and you're willing to get two miles off the road, you are going to be fine. You will be alone. And I think, um, 
now that's not the case, man. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys yeah. are decked out. They got all the gear. Kudos to them. They're they're prepared, and uh, those places are gone. And yeah. and I think that's a direct result of 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 what we're seeing on YouTube, social media, and everything else. There's been a How few. We- there's been a few instances like like. It's funny. I got this. We got this hunt quietly Instagram page that I'm no longer allowed to see. I I had the guy that's managing it change the password and block me because I was so mental. I'm not mentally healthy enough for that to be. I was like refreshing it every 10 minutes to see the comments after we would post something, you know, and, but (laughs) there's been a few times, like I got, I, I get these sent to me now. There's been a few times in the last two months where some hunting celebrity is complaining about how they didn't draw a tag or their spot isn't as good as it was last year. And in both, in all these cases, they publicized the spot the year before. Right. You wonder why. Yeah. Dumbass. You know, and I'll tell friends, you know, close friends, you know, if I've got a spot that if, but I sure as hell ain't going to put it on Instagram, for God's sake. Um, but there are people out there. Here's the thing. There are, there are people out there who say, well, that's just selfish. You're being selfish. You're trying to keep it all to yourself. You know? No, uh, listen. It, I, I don't buy it for a I, second. I, but I, am, I am. You earned your spots. Sounds well, like your I've spots. Earned are, it and yeah. I, I, I am the ultimate trophy meat hunter. I don't care what I shoot. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I just don't want to buy my 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 protein at the grocery store. I just don't. I enjoy every aspect. It's one of the things I loved about Steve's program is 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 is, is the meat part of it, the, the the actual caring for it, and and you know playing around with recipes and and all that stuff. I don't care about and I, I, I've shot in some. You know, shot some great animals, but I don't care anymore. When you, I want to have, when you reach out to, to go ahead, do that. I just want to be able to continue to do that. Yeah, you reach. I went. You I reached, went. I went. I keep interrupting. Sorry. I went. Um, I went big gameless. My freezer is looking pretty pathetic this year, and that just doesn't sit well with me. And I, again, did you go out of state? Did you go or? Um, I, I, I did have a Montana doe tag that we, we, every year we go kind of in your neck of the woods and we do a bird. Oh, look me up next time. Yeah. Next time for sure. Bird slash I buy a doe tag and I just never got around to the doe part of it. Um, um, you came up and small game hunted, but you never got around to. Yeah. And and, well, mostly we got hit by that blizzard. Oh yeah. 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 In November. Yeah. and, I was uh, out in that. I was out. Oh, all, that I was, was, camped that was out rough. That's miserable. So, that, yeah. That was, so you told me in your email that you think you're done hunting Colorado. Well, I, I tell you, it's getting to the point where, where, unless, you know, I'll go with my kid, you know, because he's a college student. He has a few days and things like that. But uh, the, the, the excitement is gone as far as 
is that. Um, last year, I took a, 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 a I've been mentoring a, a, a new hunter, um, and uh, I we went archery hunting, and uh, and I'm not kidding. We saw 17 people in one small little drainage. And, and uh, yeah. Now, fortunately, how many? How long? How far from the? How well, far from your truck were you? Well, you take a drive the truck, and then you take a, a ATV ride for about five miles, and then we hike a couple miles from there. So, um, now, fortunately, um, we kind of got lucky, and 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 he shot his first elk with uh, a really. As yeah. you're looking at 17 people, yeah. yeah, the place was crawling with people, and and uh, it was, was one of those thing things. Just, like, was the elk just freaked out and trying to get out of there, or like, well, no, no, we just found a pocket where I it's almost embarrassing. It was, uh, it was like, well, exactly 410 yards from our camp, and um, I, I got in there in the evening and I said, well, let's just crawl up here on this ridge and and whole damn herd just walked right up to us and and oh. so uh, oh yeah but um you know that, that for for me it's about um it's about being able to to have that experience i don't care if it's the biggest one i don't care if it's uh, i am a trophy meat hunter and that's all that matters to me is 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 filling the freezer as long as it's you know legal and sustainable and all those things and uh that's all I want to be able to continue to, to do f for my being. And, uh, I, I just worried that are we going to, you know, we're, we're, we're squeezing this lemon to the point where how much can we get out of it? Man, yeah. You know, yeah. and, um, and, and so when you, th when you said, um, you know, we kind of, <clears throat> if, if hundred numbers, whatever they are, and, 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 and I often think of that, it's like, well, that, that the Fish and Wildlife Service tracks that based on numbers of licenses sold. When I was younger, everyone everyone bought a deer tag because you could go anywhere, and they were seven dollars and fifty cents. I think people are, you know, that that casual hunter is kind of fading because we don't have any time in our lives anymore. And so I don't think it's really changed as far as real hunters out there. And that's why we're seeing the crowding. So if we're seeing the crowding and we're seeing the impacts because private land is being tied up for whatever reason, you know, leasing or, 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 or people buy ranches and they don't want hunting. We know what the problem is. They're coming to public access areas. So we've got to address that part. And that's where I'm sitting here going, okay, we're just going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to tighten the screws a little bit on, on that public land aspect of it. And um, as long as we're in the North American model where this, the, this, the, the state owns the, the, the wildlife, we're going to give, we should give preference to the, the people who live and pay taxes in those states. It's I think simple. we should also be trying to figure out ways to incentivize public access to private land. Totally. Well, and, and tell me more about what you're doing there. I, I heard on a recent podcast you, you have started something, and I think that's fantastic. Well, one thing I'm doing is saying I just don't think that if you're paying to shoot something, it's hunting. 
certainly mm-hmm. not why I got into it. So I'm just trying to disincentivize it. I think the the enjoyment somebody gets out of going with a guide on a property that they've leased up and having the guide drive them up and hike them over a little ridge and there's the deer right where he saw the guide saw him the year be, the day before and now you shoot it. I just don't think that they that I don't think that they that person that uh, I'm 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 want to call them a hunter derives that much satisfaction from that. So I'm just trying to say that, that it's like go ahead. It's just not an accomplishment to make people think. Well, maybe I should just not do that anymore. You know? Yeah. So I just so just making that point, but. More concretely, I'm involved in this nonprofit that I that I was a founding member of, me and a few friends, where we have this program block management that pays landowners yeah. a convenience fee for letting people for for paying landowners an inconvenience fee for allowing public hunting. And we're trying to do things to to support that program um giving away appreciation gifts and doing work projects on participating ranches i also have several podcast episodes coming up where i'm talking to to agency folks state agency folks from other states that have similar programs are nowhere near as elaborate as block management but there's all there's little programs like that. And I want to ask the question, what can the sportsman do? What can the sportsman do to support those programs? Like there's one in Iowa, there's one in Wisconsin, there's one in Kansas. I got the Iowa and the Wisconsin one scheduled already. There's one in in South North Dakota called Plots. I know there's several of them. What if we could just really the sportsman could rally behind these these programs and figure out ways to grow them could that maybe help i don't know so that- i i have had this thought for decades at least the, the certainly the last decade about when i think of in the west primarily um um we're, we're talking about primarily cattle ranching and not not always, but certainly in my neck of the woods, and 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 so those are the private landowners. How do we incentivize those cattle ranchers? And and um, and I think we need to do it in conjunction with their public land grazing. How do we how do we do that? I've had this crazy thought, and I want to make sure this is unequivocally clear. This is not. Um, you know, uh, something the agency that I work for um, endorses at all. But how do we, how do we work with with ranchers and their grazing fees? If if maybe we could incentivize that access, that stewardship of their private land, and that public access through their grazing fees, and uh, because it all comes down to they got to make a buck. They get, if they're going to have these, you know, cattle ranches, it's not an easy way to make a living and, and a million things can go wrong. And so how do we incentivize that through public policy and what you're doing privately? 
And uh, I don't know if um, that could ever be, you know, with all the controversy and things like that that go on around uh, public land grazing, if that could be done. But I think it's worth. That's why I love what you're doing. You're you're you're, you're inspiring, um, provocative thinking, and and uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but it's it's worth diving into because. I can't continue yeah. the trend. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, I, I. It really bothers me the amount. Of, okay, so public land grazing fees, as you know, are pittance compared to what you, the the market value on them. And then, also, as I say, almost on every third episode of this podcast, the farm and ranch income, a third of it is subsidy yeah so i don't understand that man i don't understand how there can't public how there can't be reasonable public access for public money if you don't want the public money great no you don't need to take the public money but if you want the public money public access that just seems fair to me you know there's like a you know who henry george was no. Oh, so he, uh, Georgism. Have you heard of Georgism? This guy, he ran for president, Henry George, in like the really? middle 1800s. And he had this a view when he died. So this guy was like a, a, a very important economic thinker. And, and uh, uh, yeah, and an intellectual in the mid 1800s. And he had this idea that in the same way that air and water are our natural inheritance, so is land. Ooh. Like that, that's part of just being a citizen of the planet is that that's part so I'm going to end up sounding like a Marxist, but I don't care. It's like, I don't have any sponsors to lose or whatever. I don't <laughs> um, like that. If you want to exercise extra pro- rights on property more than everybody else, then you have to pay for that. And he thought the whole economic system that should be what taxation is. Wow. It's just paying for the right to exercise privileges with our natural inheritance. This guy was not considered a wacko. When he died, 100,000 people went to his funeral. They were out in the streets. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I look at like... I look at that not that long ago as being kind of a a not outrageous idea that I don't think it's outrageous to think that there'd be reasonable public access for, for, for for public money. I don't, I don't know. It's like, that doesn't seem like like this last podcast where I was told you where I was arguing with Ben O'Brien, he kept talking about how, controversial my ideas are i'm like 
I don't see that at all. I bet, I bet the vast majority, I bet way more than 50% of hunters don't put grip and grins online and don't film their hunts. So like, I think that's the controversial part. I think I'm part yeah. of the mainstream. Right. Well, you, you, your thought about land is, is contrary to the founding of this country. Do you know that, um, You've heard life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I, who, who penned that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I um, don't know. One of those. Well, it's, oh, it, uh, was it Thomas Paine or? I like, think so. Okay. Yeah. It was. Do you know what that originally said? Uh. Uh-uh. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Oh. Um, because oh. because the founders were so tired of the king owning all the land, um, the the whole. The whole um, impetus behind, you know, our independence had a lot to do with private property. So that's going to be a, a an uphill fight. I mean, clearly that is a. It's I not mean, what I'm. I'm willing to even contemplate, no, but no, it's an interesting concept. But going back to look what's going on in the West. Okay. Um. um and, and 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 we can talk about the pros and cons of, of bovines grazing on alpine environments and, and, and high elevation ecology and all those things. But what I've co- concluded in my 30 years of living out here is we better keep these ranchers on the land. Because that makes sense to me. I know where it's going. And in this part of the world, people think, oh, it's going to go to condos and development. Yeah, part of it could go to that. But the the big the 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 biggest issue right now for these ranchers that that are you know creating open space and winter range and all these things is water. And what we're seeing is the front range water providers, Denver Water, Rural Water, um, you know, Colorado Springs Utility, all those, they're buying ranches not for the land. They just take the water, pump it to the front range through a canal system through the middle of the continental divide and let the land go weeds and fallow. So and they, need, they sell the water to mun, mun, municipalities or. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the 40% of the water um, on the West slope of the West of the continental divide in Colorado is pumped to the, the front range of Colorado. They bought up Colorado water law is extremely draconian and, and aged, but um I were, you know, I recently heard that if 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 it wasn't for like as severely overallocated as the Colorado River is if it if they did away with feeding alfalfa to cattle that there would no longer be a water shortage shortage. They're not well yeah agriculture does that but but it's where that water is going to go. Someone's going to own it. It is a commodity, Matt. It, it doesn't. You don't get to just say, "Well, we won't feed. We won't. We won't." If if a rancher decides, if someone owns a, a, a you know rancher decides, I'm not going to irrigate my hay because I'm not. I'm getting out of the cattle business. I'm just going to let the water back in the stream. That water is going to someone else. And and where it's going is to the to the to the urban areas we could see if if we lose these ranchers on this landscape 
it's 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 not about the cows it's about the water mm. and 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 so the water will disappear if the water disappears the ecological function of that property gone so so as i look at climate and 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 aridification of the west and all those things wait so let me, wait, let me get my head around this a little bit so but they wouldn't they just go back to being this, the kind of arid system that they were before water development? Except the water would be gone. The water that was naturally in the system would be in the little would, streams and right. It would. It's all allocated. Every drop of this. I mean, it was only ten years ago, or not even eight years ago. You weren't allowed to collect water off your roof in Colorado. It was against state law. Oh, wow. They changed it because every drop is is allocated somewhere. Okay. So, yes, maybe it would go back to its natural state without the water, though. So that that water that was part of that, you know, 5,000, 3,000-acre ranch would be pumped somewhere else and used for something else. In, In Colorado, if you are not using your water for beneficial use you use it or lose it mm. super wet summers they're still flood irrigating and irrigating because that one because if you go to two years whatever i'm not a water law expert but but if you don't use it someone else will with junior rights will take that and so but before this, water development like let's just say that there's some oh, yeah, yeah. land sitting there yeah wouldn't it that yeah, that, that on sure. some ranch before water development, that acre of land would be experienced the same, experiencing the same amount of water after that they the allocate like it was allocated yeah. away from there is then before European colonization, right? Yeah, sure. But but you know, and I'm as a range ecologist, you know that if 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 you stop watering a a alfalfa field it's going to weeds right there'll be a lot of a desert there'll be a lot of need there'll be not a lot of need for my for my skill set in terms of restoring that to short grass prairie or whatever yeah but i just Um, think i i think in the west that the the, and i've had my battles with ranchers in the past and has some great experiences and stuff and uh but we've got to figure out a way that um the ecosystem services they're providing, wildlife habitat, open space, that's becoming more and more valuable. If we could somehow connect that to access and other things, it would be a pretty exciting thing. And and um, and that's why I appreciate what you're doing, you know, the, this whole access thing. And, and uh, we've just got to get the right people behind it. And, and uh, I, I worry about, like, how with the climate models how do we how do we maintain this level of agriculture in the future yeah i don't know how you do that and that's yeah. that's a, that's a whole nother monster that we could have a whole nother podcast on but well um, and yeah and these are more important issues than hunting by far in my view uh like they're more pressing it's just my day job is trying to fix screwed up land and in, in my in my advocacy work is is trying to i guess how you say 
make sure hunting opportunity goes to the people that appreciate it most in terms of in terms of enjoying it for the original reasons yeah of like trying to be like get it get meet their meat through resourcefulness yeah you know um, i just think of kids you know and and i just um i i want them to be able to have that experience yeah 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 it's so you know i mean it it was such a huge part of life and they've it's such an outlet for, for kids and, and teenagers. And if they have that um, ability to do that, it keeps them out of trouble and off of video games. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, there's this bill here right now. It's called house bill 462 in Montana that would reallocate $30 million. It was, it, we have this habitat Montana program where that, the money that goes into that program is used to put ranches in conservation easements. So the rancher says, I will put my ranch in a conservation easement. They get 40% of the value of that property to put their ranch in a conservation easement. What they, they got to institute some conservation measures and they have to allow some public access. And there's a move to gut that. 30, $30 million a year out of it that just got allocated to it because we legalized marijuana. So like some of the pot, $30 million of pot money a year is supposed to be going to that. And I was just sat in on a hearing on it a couple of days ago and there was a bunch of mental health professionals and police officers saying we have a major issue with mental health. We have a major issue with the lack of law enforcement in this state. We need those funds. And part of me was thinking, yeah, but maybe Johnny, maybe Johnny wouldn't get in trouble in the first place if his dad had some place to take him hunting and right. show him, you know. Uh, I hope like, so. Um, you know what I mean? Like I don't oh, know. Totally, totally. I know what you mean. I mean, I it's I I think of raising my kid, and, and that was a part of our life that was so vital. I mean, yeah, so I was such an outcast when I was a kid, and I would get teased and ridiculed. I even got teased because of hunting, because that's all I thought about and talked about. But just <laughs> like, just I got, I got to put all that away and go climb in a tree stand. Yeah, try to so sneak much. up on a squirrel. You know, man, it, it's. I mean, I know it's only it's only five percent of the country, so it's like there's there's a tendency to want to make it seem more important than it is it's something that's vitally important to one in 20 americans i guess yeah i don't it know is, it's less than it, that it there's is. a lot of people here's the thing it's like a lot of these people that have the most opportunity i don't think they value it as much they just no, got, I, they got the money to throw at it and they're like oh yeah i'll go you know like the people that value it most so, man, I said in, a, in an email to you, I said, how do you make. Is Mike, can you, you hear make, my dog barking? No. Oh, good. She yeah. is going nuts out there. I, well, I've, I've talked about this in the past in the podcast, but I call it quixotic barking. You know what, <laughs> you know what that word means? No. 
quixotic. Oh, it's it's the adjective form. You know how some people get uh like an adjective name of the form of their name if they're real famous, like Keynesian economics. Right. Or the Cartesian coordinate system, Rene Descartes. Right. So quixotic means like it's like Don Coyote. It means Don Coyote-esque. Quixotic. So she's out there like jousting at windmills, just barking into the darkness, you know. Well, or there's a coyote walking through your yard. There's no. I Sometimes it'll be daylight and she'll be doing it. Oh, shit. And I can look right where she's barking and there's nothing to behold. Like I can just sight between her little corgi ears and see that there's nothing out there. As far as you know, Matt. There's that's nothing true. that's true maybe yeah yeah so well, here's the thing if it's so threatening then how come right now if i walked over to the door and let her in she'd not be concerned anymore yeah you know what i mean so if there's something like i can't imagine being outside and being if i was outside of my own house and i was very alarmed or concerned about something that opening the door walking in shutting the door and then I'd be like, oh, okay, everything's good. Well, I <laughs> you know? try to figure out what's going through my black lab's head when she is more excited to jump into the middle of the frozen Colorado River to pick up the widget I just shot. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Through ice and rapids. And I'm like, what is inspiring yeah. that dog? So they're, they're on a different plane than you and I, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, Matt, I, this is what I keep thinking about, and I've thought about this since I heard your first podcast. How do you make hunting quietly cool? How do you make that <laughs> like? Cool? It's so like, impossible because you, I guess you could have a be. Um, I thought about here's one thing I thought about. You could have a two things I thought about. One is you could have a social media account where there was gripping there's 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 stuff that people shot without them in it. Okay. You just submit stuff that you killed. Right. Like we wanna we're gonna show what you know what this hunting season produced. And but they're not in there, you know. So, but it's like they don't get any credit then. So I don't know if that if that does it. You know, that's one th idea I had. The other one was that you could have it be like somebody. Yeah, I don't even know about this. This is so. These are not well thought out ideas. But you you'd have it be like some. Here's a list of people that shot the stuff this year yeah and what it scored it doesn't have their yeah. names it just says somebody shot this deer on a over-the-counter tag and on a double um wildlife management area in this state you know just ticking it off but without the without the name without the name associated but this isn't answering the question here's the thing though it's like it shouldn't be cool like the best hunters I know, like, there's so many people that are online or on TV 
that are have are, are not even they're not even worthy to carry the carry the bow of the some of the people I know. Like right. I know people that are just um that hunt some of the same areas I do, and the the success they have on public land that of just gutting it out and getting it done that is amazing to yeah. me. And they never say a peep. But then you got these influencers like every little everything they shoot that's got to put it, be up online. But like, like, I don't understand why you think you're so great because I know so many people are doing so much better than you and you're getting famous off of it and they don't feel any need to bring any attention to themselves you know i don't know like you should, what's the sense in being i guess here's one i'm just thinking out loud right now so this is coming out mm-hmm. but why be why, why how does being cool to people you don't know helpful to you right i don't, I don't get Is that. it? it's like just be cool to the people like the people i'm talking about now a few of these people are not close friends of mine i just know through word of mouth, like I know them a little bit and I have friends that are kind of friends with them. And I hear, Oh, so-and-so got another one this year, just like last year. And the year before I found out from his wife, when I went to talk to her, cause she works at the bank, you know, like, so the, I, my hunting heroes and I have several of them are people that I find out secondhand kind of, cause I know them a little bit, what they got. Right. And and I hold them in such high esteem. Isn't that the being cool? Yeah. You know? Like who cares if somebody thinks you're cool that you don't even know? Right. That 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 that's never uh I, I don't understand that. Um maybe if I shot the world record of all time, maybe that would be, I I I'd post it. The only the only dead critters I share is with when my dad, before he died uh, on Christmas Eve, he he liked to see that because he taught us how to do that. And so I'd say, uh, "Dad got this or whatever, caught this fish," and or maybe my brothers, and that's it. Yeah, I, I, the I whole system is geared towards bringing attention to the person that shot the thing that Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett. Yeah, you know, like I think those books should have been made like. You know what they say about that? Why they do that? Why they make those books with the scores and stuff? They say <laughs> they say they say it's to track the quality of wild of trophy game through time. To like that's that's the motivation. Really? So, like, why does the person that shot its name have to be associated with it? Right. I'm going. Well, I'm. I, I'm told. I've been told for months now that I'm going to the Pope and Young banquet to speak. Really, which blows me away. Blows me away because I'm. I'm going to have to have a disclaimer before I start speaking. I'm like, I'm going to say a lot of nasty things about this organization. I'm going to say a lot, not nasty things. I guess nasty, but it'll seem nasty. But it's born out of a place of love, you know. Uh, uh, the thing, the action, the action, the activity, the sorts of people those organizations celebrate 
or attract. Yeah. And attract and celebrate. The keynote speaker is John Dudley, who's a guy that's just a glutton, shoots 20 big game animals a year on private land. Uh, like, I'm gonna have to start out with you. I don't know how I got invited here. And if you don't like feeling uncomfortable, now is a good time for you to go check out one of the other talks because I'm not going to mince words about it. I'm like, this is part of the problem. Right. I think there should be a Pope and Young book, some kind of book devoted to the person that opened up the most land for other people to have a positive. Right. Experience. Yeah, that's the Pope and Young hero. I want to. I want to. I want to to worship. Can I ask you a question? Because yeah. I'm supposed to be interviewing you, and yeah. Okay, this part still about you. You guys are starting to see your group is starting to see that some evidence that this decline in elk is at least in part due to the elk not being able to utilize summer range effectively. And so what are the ideas you guys are kicking around to deal with that? Yeah. You said something um, about limiting. Yeah. Limiting we're, we're, or we're, 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 more and more of our areas are going to permit systems, even to, you know, to, to the snowmass, Roombell snowmass wilderness, for example, that's the whole wilderness complex above Aspen. And, and um, um, this year it'll go to a permit system. You got to pay to stay overnight. Um, and uh, we've gone to permit systems in Conundrum Hot Springs, which is the hot springs in the wilderness, eight miles in, Hanging Lake. Um, Could you have... Could you have rules about these mountain meadows are off limits until right. 10 a.m.? I don't know. You're right. Yeah. I mean, we could, there's, there's all kind of, the, the toolbox is there, you know, we can do special orders for, I mean, you know, but they've got to go through the public process and probably NEPA and all that stuff. So, um, I think that's part of it. I think we're going to have to start getting really serious. We, unlike some states, you know, when I worked in Jackson Hole, all the winter range was closed to human entry. Um, um, I think we're going to have to look at those type of things. Is is which again, that is a dog walking, spandex loving, you know, people going out their back door and going hiking. But they've done tons of studies. I mean, this is not new stuff about wintering wildlife that even if they don't run away, you know, they've monitored their heart rates and they and they stop feeding and just from people walking by and then mm. you throw dogs into the. So I think winter range, we're going to have to look really hard at, at um, you know, winter range closures um you know, we have restrictions on motorized use in some places you can't do this or that, but. You know, I was Jackson Hole, and that's been 25 years, 30 years ago. They've had winter range closures. Now, that winter range is very concentrated, and, you know, there's nowhere for those critters to go. Um, I think that's part of it. And then I think it's – I think we're going to have to work with communities because this this economic machine um, that this forest provides to these communities – a lot of people and we're gonna to have to start working with chambers of commerce and tourism promotion things and say we got to cut back 
Yeah. So can social media, the same way it used to create bucket list and get everyone here, can it be used to to say, hey, you're affecting what's going on up there? If you want to mm. see wildlife, you're gonna you're gonna um, have to change your behavior. And um, I don't know if it's possible. Um, it, the the you know there's so, the whole every one of these communities depend on this national forest for the livelihood. We found we, our economists did a study, every forest in the country, and I can send it to you. Um, they, 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 they did an economic impacts of every single forest in the nation. And when I looked at mine uh, on the white river, it, you know, they, they looked at direct jobs, um, payroll, the total payroll and GDP. And this forest was such an outlier, so much bigger than any forest in the country. Even forests that have a lot of oil and gas and mining and things, logging, it wasn't even close. $1.6 billion to the GDP, 22,000 direct jobs. And the next closest was 900 million and 15,000 jobs. So that wow. tells me this forest, that this, the economies of these areas, a lot of it has. To How much is this because of the skiing? A huge part of it. But but what I always call it's that you, you throw a pebble into the, the ripple effect. The, the, the resorts have a ripple effect. And then and then because everyone wants to come to Aspen because of the skiing, well, then we're going to have, you know, this type of activity on the forest. And then this act type of activity. And this, that you know, it's a ripple effect. It's when you mm -hmm. throw that pebble in. So the middle of that pebble, or the middle of that ripple is, is the resort, Aspen or Vail or Breckenridge, but it ripples up. And so um, either that or we're going to have to make a conscious decision that we're going to turn this into a, the Alps where it's going to be a great place to take a picture and hike, but ecological function is going to be different. And then we're one of the wolf recovery area zones. You know, yeah. they're going to bring wolves here. How does that all fix into, uh, uh, you know, this? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a pro or con. I'm just saying now we're going to bring an apex predator here. We're going to, and the animals are already. There, there's no doubt about it. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be mute on whether that's a good idea or not for, I'm a, secular humanist so i'm somebody that's wanting to maximize i think the natural world plays a role in maximizing the utility function that is human happiness and yeah and so like yeah i don't have a i'm not going to weigh in on whether that increase bring wolves increases human happiness but that's what we're trying to maximize in my viewpoint but holy shit that's not going to be good for an already stressed elk population I, I just don't, you know, I was in Jackson Hole. I worked, I was working there when they reintroduced wolves into the Yellowstone system. And I was all for it, man. I mean, it's like 8 million acres of wilderness. Um, if we can't have them there, shame on us. Yeah. Yeah. With the total population of the state of 500,000, where we have 6 million in this state and growing um, private land. Every valley, every single valley in the state is private land. Everyone. Not oh, wow. And, oh, and, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's the same here. I mean, there's no. Yeah. Well, and, I and, guess it depends on what you, you know what I mean? 
like yeah. how do you define a valley if it's like this little rivulet up in the mountains yeah. but i mean yeah. all the major drainages are all you know and and so i don't know and by december next year they're they got by law they have to reintroduce them and oh. and so yeah wow. a whole nother topic of ballot biology and 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 when you have you know they're going to reintroduce here but the people who voted for them won't have to deal with them on the on the you know denver and you know front range but if i had to guess how all this would pan out it would be that i like the idea i don't like it but i'm inclined to think that your alps analogy is going to be what wins out but like i would a little tiny bit of nature for a lot of people yep as opposed to fairly high quality nature for a smaller number of people seems to be what's going to end up being, you know? Yeah. I, I, if, if, certainly if I was betting that, I mean, I don't know how you turn that. I mean, Unless reproductive rates go down. Like sperm counts are going down in males. I know like in, yeah. you know, stuff like that, you know, like, yeah, that's those, only- those are major catastrophic things that could affect it. But, you know, we still have the immigration into the state. Um, and I'm not talking about foreign immigration, just, and, you know, we saw a huge bump during COVID and that never went away. And now all these people can w- work remotely and do what you're doing yeah. over zoom. And I mean, property values here are, I mean, I can't hire folks anymore because mm. you know what a GS nine makes. Mm-hmm. The average house in this Valley is, $850,000. No GS9 wow. can afford that. Wow. And uh, that's, yep. the, well, actually, it's a, it's quite a bit higher than that. But um, our university you know, towns in Montana, I mean, we're, we're yeah. on a per capita basis, are, we're probably about like you on a per capita yeah. basis. You probably have more raw growth, but yeah. Um, but, yeah, our 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 two university towns are having a hard time attracting faculty because the, even the faculty can't afford. No, work. it's the housing here is just uh, the cost of living is just crazy, and and we're starting we to sound like a couple of fifty year fifty somethings. Like, year old. Why? Yeah. It's just all fucked up, you know. Yeah. God damn it, you know. But well, but it, but, it, but, the, but it's the the constructive part is at least. It, Getting, I don't know, just getting it into the zeitgeist, the mainstream that there's problems with hunting. There's problems with this portends problems for hunting. It portends pro- problems for people that just want to enjoy the natural world. And we got to really do some serious thinking about how we're going to accommodate all this. Exactly. You know? uh, that 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 I think about that all the time, and uh, it it inspires me to go do my job. You know, because as a public servant, that's what I'm here for is 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 to serve and to to, to try and figure these things out. But man, it it's getting harder and harder. And uh, and you know, I don't know that uh, I have all the answers, but I've, I'm willing to try. And I, again, what I appreciate about what you're doing, Matt, is you're ins- you're you're inspiring conversation. You're inspiring debate. You're inspiring, um, you know. Hey, maybe this isn't the best way to look at this, and that's part of the human nature of of problem solving. So let's keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the hope is that 
people, smart people putting their heads together can make some progress. Do you know who Todd Wilkinson is? Yeah. The, oh, the author and yeah, he's got that mount, yeah. mountain journal and yeah, like a lot of the issues that you've brought up about White River. You know, he's very highly focused on Yellowstone. Yellowstone, yeah. The greater Yellowstone ecosystem. He's coming on the podcast tomorrow night. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, um, tell him you had me on. Oh, he knows. You guys know each other. It's been a long time. I mean, you know, tell him when I worked on the Bridger Teton and in Jackson Hole, but when I knew him a long time ago. So it's been a long time. Maybe maybe we can do the three of us could yeah, uh, that's. Man, I, I didn't realize. I mean, he's still active and, and at it. That's great. Oh I mean, yeah, very much. Like I say, he's got this website, uh, this Mountain Journal, and he's got other authors that focus on the same sorts of issues. But, yeah, he is a. Have you met him before? Nope, never talked to him. Never met him. I have a woman that's helping me line up guests. Man, I'm starting to have a lot of a fair number of volunteers that are help like helping yeah. so that gives me some some hope um and some well, of them, Todd is just a humble gracious man if the, one the times i worked oh. with him and he's just he, he's he's just one of those gracious people that um i think uh is such a big thinker so well that will um be an interesting conversation cuz i'm a cocky son of a bitch but <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're, uh, my, my, I'm attracted to people who are, 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 have passion about just about anything. You yeah. know, if you have passion in life, it's worth yeah. getting up in the morning and, and I'm attracted to those people. So, yeah. so man, it's, it's, same. Uh, same. it's a, it's a pleasure and that's why we do what we do, I guess. Yeah. So if you get up here. In closing, I'll say if you get up here this fall and you don't look me up, but I find out you're here, I'm going to be upset. So I, I will. We 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 we'll, we'll we'll be planning another trip, and I'll I'll ping you when we're heading that way because uh, I love to wander the uh, the nothingness of eastern Montana, and uh, and again, it's just about being in that country is what inspires me. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we we got to keep thinking about this stuff. Like, how do you? And not just hunting. How do you, how do you accommodate, accommodate to the best of our ability? How can, how does society accommodate yeah. the desire to interact with the natural world, whether it be fishing, whether it be hunting, yep, whether it be hiking? I, you know, in, in the end, we're gonna. One, one thing I could say is, in any of these domains, surfing, mountaineering, it's got to be reserved for people that are doing it because they love it. That's one right. thing. That's, a, that's that one's simple to me and that, but it's simple to me that that would be the case, but it's not being done. But how? But there's a lot of people, even if only people out there were people that have a genuine interest in it, we still got a major problem. Yeah, we do. With, and with you know, too much we're, demand. We're, we're, we're about to, you know, I don't know how much you know about forest plans, but uh, you know, we, Every every forest. decade or something or like, yeah, two, two or three decades. So okay, um, we're up to do a new one here. It's been twenty some years, and so we're gonna about to start that. And I have said to my staff, and and as I begin to tell you know stakeholders and talk externally about it, we're gonna make a choice right now, and and we will have that choice as our system and our democracy and our policies are such 
we're going to make a choice here. If we want to, you know, continue to squeeze this goose and 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 go from 17.8 million to 25 million people visiting this this um, forest every year, we've made a choice. We can we can make that choice, or we're going to make another choice where we want maybe a more balance of ecological function and and those things that we we come to enjoy. Um, that's another choice, but it's going to come with just choice. You know, it's going to yeah, come with like. Do we want 25 million people there every year or do we want 12.5 million right. there every other year? Whatever that is. We, we, Something we like that, place. you know. And, and, and our system, and it's a great system and it's part of our democracy, is set up to make that choice. And, and uh, yeah. so I, I, I want to get that started and, and uh, before I retire and say, look, you know, let's let's we're going to make a choice about how we chart this path. And yeah. so it's exciting to think about, but monumental. It's I, yeah. Well, it's huge, yeah. Man. Well, you know, I, God, you know, how you just like meet people and you just tell that their hearts in the right place on shit. Like you're the right yeah, guy to be doing totally. this, you know? And so, God, I just really wish you the best of luck in, in, in figuring out the right balance with that. It's so well, tough. I, it's so tough. 